Jimmy Akin's Mysterious World is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. You're listening to episode 286 of Jimmy Akin's Mysterious World, where we look at mysteries from the twin perspectives of faith and reason. In this episode, we're talking about listeners' weird questions. I'm Dom Bettinelli, and joining me today is Jimmy Akin. Hey, Jimmy. Howdy, Dom. It's the day after the U.S. holiday of Thanksgiving, so as is our custom, we're bringing you another episode of Weird Questions with Jimmy and Cy Kellett of Catholic Answers Live. Jimmy, what topics are you going to be answering questions about today? Well, we're going to be talking about what would have happened if mankind had fallen after Adam and Eve rather than with Adam and Eve. Uh, What happened with Balaam's donkey? Was the demon Asmodeus possessing Sarah and making her a murderess in the book of Tobit? Uh, Do our sins increase or maybe decrease or repentance of sins decrease Jesus's sufferings on the cross? Um, Did Jesus know how to build an airplane? We'll also be talking about uh, Ed and and Lorraine Warren, Mercury in retrograde and more. Excellent. Those are interesting questions. So let's listen to your answers. Hello and welcome to Catholic Answers Live. Thanks so much for being with us here on this uh, Friday afternoon. So glad you're here. Maybe it's Friday evening, maybe it's Saturday morning. I don't know, but we're happy you're here. Uh, I don't know if I said it. But I'm Cy Kellett, your host, and our guest this hour is Jimmy Aiken, which is a very good thing because we're going to do weird questions with Jimmy Aiken. Hi, hey, Jimmy Aiken. Hey there. How's it going, Cy Kellett? Really, really good. Um, this is a very popular thing. People love the weird questions. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, we got some real weird ones uh-huh. coming yeah. up. Yeah. Uh, there's been a lot of talk at my work about Mercury being in retrograde and that it makes everything on Earth topsy-turvy. Could this really affect things on Earth? And uh, she says, I, I thought this was completely unfounded, but then I thought about how the moon controls the tides and how people seem to act crazier when there's a full moon. Would love Jimmy's opinion on this. OK, so uh, the idea that the moon, the phase of the moon has an effect on human behavior is called the lunar effect. Yeah, like <clears throat> I think that's where we get the word lunacy, as a matter of fact, it comes from the, this idea. Yeah, Um the idea of a robust lunar effect on Earth and whether it like causes people to go crazy is disputed in the scientific community. There are studies that point both ways on this. Yeah. Also, it may not be it may be something as simple as like, well, more crimes get committed during the full moon, not because the moon makes people crazy, because but because the you moon see. <laughs> makes it easier to see as you're committing the crime. That's a good point. Yeah. yeah. Um, so uh, so, you know, th- that's debated what, yeah. what effect the moon has with regard to that. It's certainly true that the moon has an effect on uh, on the tides. And on creatures that live in tide pools, yeah. whether it has one on humans is, is disputed. When it comes to the sun, the sun actually has an effect that you wouldn't expect, a bunch of them. Um, it, what sun sign you're born in really does matter. 
Really? Yeah. There are statistically significant correlations between issues, uh, between things like neuroticism, educational attainment. Um, but does that have to do with human seasons? growth? Hang, hang oh, on. Oh, sorry. I'm sorry. Jimmy, I got curious. And, and it is correlated with what sun sign you're born in. But there's the music. Oh. So there's our new cliffhanger. Oh, da, da, da. We will be right back with more uh, weird questions with Jimmy Aiken. And we'll find out about sun signs and their effect on you. I do, uh, one community you did not mention, uh, which is affected by the lunar cycle, is the werewolf community. And yeah. I just out of respect for them, I thought okay. I'd mention that. Sure. Welcome back to Catholic Answers Live. I'm Cy Kelly, your host. And it's Weird Questions with Jimmy Aiken, Jimmy Aiken, senior apologist here at uh, Catholic Answers. And we're actually in the midst of a question. Miriam asked, there's been a lot of talk at her work, she says, about Mercury being in retrograde. And that's making everything on Earth topsy-turvy. She just wants to know, is that actually possible that there could be some celestial effect on Earth? Yeah. And she mentions, uh, you know, how like the moon has an effect on Earth with tides. And it's less clear to what extent the moon affects human behavior. There are actually scientific studies that point in both directions on that. And... um, uh, at the close of our previous episode, I was mentioning how the sun has an effect. And I know that's obvious, you know, yeah. duh, that's why it's day yeah, or night. Right. Is well, the, the sun, yeah, there's that you know? effect, yes. So you've got all the day-night effects. But in addition to the standard day-night effects we think about, it's actually been shown scientifically that what sun sign you're born in matters, mm-hmm. that it has, uh, it, it has effects on uh, neuroticism. So it has psychological effects. It has effects on educational attainment. It has effects on uh, growth of the body and things like that. And and it is correlated with what what zodiacal sign mm-hmm. or astrological sign the sun is in at the time of your birth. Um, but it's not what you might think. This is not a straightforward validation of astrology right. because it turns out it's not just the month you're born in that's important in this regard. It's which preceding nine months from your conception to your birth, where was the sun during that? Because oh. if you're in a northern latitude, then you, if, if, the, if you are in the womb over the summer rather than during the winter, yes. your mom is going to be exposed to more sunlight yeah, and thus she's going to metabolize more vitamin D from that sunlight. See, I never would have thought of that. You're going to be exposed to more vitamin D in the womb. Yeah, yeah. Which is going to have an effect on your body's growth and your neurological development and things like that. Uh huh. And so um, the reverse will be true if you're in the southern hemisphere. If you're in the southern hemisphere during the northern summer, that's the southern winter. Right. And your mom will be receiving less sunlight. And you'll be receiving less vitamin D in utero. Mm-hmm. And so you'll have a flip in the meaning of the star signs between the northern and southern hemispheres. And if you're living on the equator, doesn't, doesn't matter. make any deal. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you're probably going to be born on a hot day. That's all we know. Yeah. Um, so there, there are, there can be indirect effects that are not immediately obvious right. from celestial bodies. And the question would then be, well, what about Mercury and retrograde? So we should mention what retrograde means. Retrograde is what happens when, from, an, from a perspective of a person standing on the earth, a star or planet seems to start moving 
backwards. backwards yeah. That's why it's called retrograde, because it seems to be moving backwards. And what causes that is um, Earth is passing it in its orbit. So Mercury is, uh, is, uh, has a little small orbit around the sun. It's like, uh, if memory serves, it's like 88, it's got an 88 day year. Mm -hmm. And so periodically as Mercury is going around the sun, Earth is going to pass Mercury. Now Earth is farther out, it's moving slower, but at various points, the Earth will pass Mercury or will pass Venus, the two inner planets. And when that happens, Venus and Mercury will look like they are starting to move backwards because we're moving past them. It's like when you move past a car on the freeway. Yeah, it looks like you, you it looks like that other car from your perspective in your car it looks like the other one's going backwards as you pass them. And that's what's happening with Mercury and Venus. So, do does Mercury influence things on Earth? Well, there are uh, four forces, fundamental forces that are known to science at present, and um, and there are there are hints of a fifth force, and there may be others, but there are four we know about: um, gravity, electromagnetism, and the strong and weak nuclear forces. So the strong and weak nuclear forces, as their name would imply, only affect things on the nuclear level. They apply to the nucleus of atoms or the nuclei of atoms. So Mercury is millions of miles away. It's too far for Mercury to influence the Earth by the strong or weak force. Um, electromagnetism. Well, that travels at the speed of light, and Mercury is only a few light minutes away. But it's also tiny and yeah. it doesn't it only reflects light. It doesn't make its own, really. And so it's hard to see how electromagnetic radiation coming from Mercury could have much of an effect on Earth. It would be drowned out by all the electromagnetic right. energy we have here. And that's why we don't see Mercury in the daytime. It's, you know, it, half the time it's up there in the daytime sky and we don't see it because right. the light it's reflecting from the sun is washed out by all of the other light yeah. that's coming from the sun that makes it, that scatters in the sky with what's called Rayleigh scattering, which makes it blue. Um, and uh, so it would be hard to see how Mercury could be having an electromagnetic effect on Earth. Um, then there's gravity. And well, gravity... Uh, also travels at the speed of light, and it there is a very slight gravitational tug on Earth from Mercury, and when it goes retrograde, there would be an extremely slight gravitational tug on things on Earth, but that would presumably be washed out by much greater gravitational effects, just like the light from Mercury is washed out by the light from the sun in the day. The gravity from Mercury would right. be washed out by other things that are that exert much more of a gravitational influence on Earth, like the moon. Yeah. And so there doesn't seem to be a good basis in the forces known to science uh, for saying that Mercury, unlike the sun or the moon, right. that Mercury would have a notable impact on the Earth even when it goes into retrograde. Now, having said that, 
There could be forces that are unknown to science. Like I said, we've got some preliminary evidence. There may be a fifth. Um, But if so, we still don't know how it works. And even though there have been attempts in the last few decades to say, okay, let's forget classical astrology. Let's do scientific studies and see if we can form, find correlations. Right. Um, and there have been some reported correlations, even though we wouldn't know how to explain them. Um, this kind of more scientifically based neo-astrology, if you want to call it that, that's based on scientifically establishable correlations. Um, I, I'm aware of that field. I haven't done a lot of reading in it yet, but certainly the idea that Mercury being in retrograde or being in a, any other phase of its motion with respect to the Earth it's not easy to see how it would have any notable effects on Earth. But I'm always open to seeing more science. Uh, hey, th- thank you very much uh, for the question. That one came from, who Where? Who was that one come from? That was no. Miriam. Oh, that was Miriam. Yeah, I got myself a little out of order here. But Miriam, thank you, you did. A, a very, very much for the question. I appreciate it. It is weird questions with Jimmy Aiken. I think one of the nice things about Jimmy Aiken's Mysterious World, and then when you answer a question like that is kind of a a modeling of how to make a reasonable uh, answer to mm-hmm. those kinds of things. And I, I think as Catholics, we, we've got to do that. There we're, there's no fear of science and there's no fear of maybe discovering some new connection somewhere, but you got to be reasonable in the application yeah. of those things. Yeah. And that's one of the, that's on mysterious world. Like here, that's one of my missions is to model critical thinking skills and, um, around interesting content. But as people learn about the interesting content, they also see the reasoning process. Yeah. yeah. And I've had parents uh, who who ha- who have their kids listen to Mysterious World write me and say, my my kids are learning critical thinking skills by listening to how you reason through things. Uh, I think it's a great service, Jimmy. We'll take a break. We'll be right back with more weird questions for Jimmy Aiken. Some of them get pretty weird coming up right after this. Welcome back to Catholic Answers Live. Weird questions with Jimmy Aiken this hour. Jimmy Aiken, our guest, senior apologist here at Catholic Answers, author of a whole bunch of things. You can find him at JimmyAiken.com. You can just search the Internet for Jimmy Aiken's Mysterious World and you'll find uh, what the current episode is and the previous 100 and probably 70 something, I'm guessing. We're in the 180s now. 180s of episodes there uh, at Jimmy Aiken's Mysterious World where you explore Paranormal phenomena, scientific phenomena, religious faith stuff, all mm-hmm. kind of, any mystery you're willing to take it on? Uh, pretty much any yeah. natural and supernatural mysteries. We even do true crime, but I don't do a huge amount of that because uh, of the squick factor. What's it called? The squick factor. What's the squick factor? I don't. Is that uh, a thing? Or is it yeah. No, no, no. Okay. It's, it's the, uh, the response of something being icky. Oh, I got you. Yeah, yeah. All right, uh, Jim uh, wants to ask you this, Jimmy. If Adam and Eve didn't commit original sin, but some other descendant did, say Cain, would we have a split line of humanity, one line with a fallen nature and one without? Well, that's how we got elves. (laughs) I had completely (laughs) forgotten about that, Jimmy. (laughs) We got elves, yeah. Yeah. Um, Well, the answer is we don't know. And we haven't been told. Now, it's going to depend on your theory of um, of how this works. According to one theory, theologically speaking, Adam represented the 
and, and there's not a way to really avoid a technical term here. He he was uh, he represented what's called the federal head of the human race. And the basic idea is that he wasn't just the leader of the early human community, but in a sense, he was its designated representative before God. Yeah. And so he's kind of like the president, you know, if the president of the United States is represents America to other countries. And so if the president, let's say, lobs nuclear missiles at other countries, they are likely to lob them back. Right. But it's it's this one man that makes a decision Mm -hmm. that affects the entire nation. Okay, And the basic idea is that um, just like the president is the legal representative or the federal representative of the whole American people, Adam on this theory, was the federal representative of the entire human race. Mm-hmm. And so so the reason on this view that um, the entire human race fell is because Adam fell. And so that had consequences for everybody else. Um, and notice on this theory, if only Adam had fallen it would have effects for everybody, even if Eve had, had, not. Never, had not fallen. Ah. Or if Eve had fallen and Adam had not, mm-hmm. the effects would have been of sin would have been contained to just Eve. Right. Because Adam would have served as a legal representative barrier between e- what Eve did and everybody else. So there are some interesting effects of this model. But there are other models, too. A lot of people think, oh, well... It's not just Adam that is important, but, you know, Adam and Eve is kind of the first parents of humanity. You know, if they both played an essential role Mm -hmm. in propagating the fall to humanity. And so um, so if either of them fell, they might not have been able to pass on sanctifying grace to their offspring and thus the the effects of original sin would have propagated to everybody after the first generation. Well, okay, maybe um, that's a possible theory. Um, church hasn't condemned that theory. The church hasn't a- answered the questions in this area because it really hasn't had a need to. What we know is we're in trouble and we need redemption. Yes, right. <laughs> um, we know that. Yeah, uh, but these hypotheticals are interesting to think about. The church just doesn't have a teaching on them. So if you want to imagine a scenario where, let's say, Adam and Eve don't fall, but Cain does, or Abel does, or Seth does, but not the other brothers, could we have a fallen line of humanity and unfallen lines? Well, that's you can imagine that, sure. You'll need to think of a model that could explain exactly how that would happen, um, but it's not precluded, it's not ruled out by church teaching. This is an area where really all we've got is speculation. Yeah, uh, right. We know what happened, but we don't know all the conditionals, what could have happened. Uh, thanks, Jim, uh, very much. It's Weird Questions with Jimmy Aiken this hour. Colin is next with this question. To my understanding, Colin writes, Animal souls lack the necessary ingredient of reason to be eternal, so their souls perish with their bodies when they die. In Numbers 22, the Lord opened the mouth of Balaam's donkey so he could speak to his owner. It appears that God raised Balaam's donkey 
donkey's nature for a moment to include the use of reason to speak and convince Balaam of his sin. What would have happened to the donkey if he had died in that state, if he momentarily possessed a rational soul required for eternal life and he used it to obey God by convincing Balaam of his sin? Would the donkey have then had the possibility of eternal life in heaven? So um, the premise that Colin uses is expressed in the first sentence. He says, he says, to my understanding, animal souls lack the necessary ingredient of reason to be eternal. And that's a very common opinion. Uh, mm-hmm. Lots of people have thought that. Uh, St. Thomas Aquinas thought that and other theologians have proposed that. Um, it's not church teaching, though. And so it's a matter of theological opinion. And Colin says it's his opinion. So that's fine. Um, I would point out that it's not the only opinion. And so it could be that uh, you don't need rationality in order for your soul to survive death. And if that's if that opinion turned out to be true, then Balaam's uh, or Balaam's uh, donkey, there's not a, there's not a glottal stop in there. Balaam's donkey could have had an immortal soul even without the gift of reason. So that's a, a possibility on another opinion. Right. But Collins saying, OK, let's go with this opinion. What are the consequences? Well, it's possible that uh, God temporarily elevated the donkey to have a rational soul. Um, the, the question would be whether that was intrinsic to the soul or whether it was a supernatural gift that was extrinsic to the soul. Because, for example, um, God, uh, can, um, like with the charismatic gifts that St. Paul talks about, he can let someone work miracles and that's a super added gift on top of the soul the human has. But God doesn't make that gift of miracles intrinsic to the person's soul oh, so yeah. that they can just do miracles on their own without God's intervention. And so this could be like that, where mm-hmm. the donkey is able to, the donkey still has a non-rational soul, but as a super added momentary gift, God elevates the donkey in such a way that he he allows the donkey to reason and communicate. Um, and uh, in that case, the donkey's soul would still intrinsically be non-rational. And if non-rational souls don't survive death, then the donkey's soul would not survive death. On the other hand, God might make it intrinsic momentarily to the donkey's soul, in which case it would appear this is no longer a donkey. Yeah. If it's, if it's, if, 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 if it's been given a new intrinsic ability that donkeys do not have, right. it would seem it's not a donkey anymore. Mm-hmm. And so that would, but if that were the case, even if it's not a donkey anymore, um, if it were to die while its soul was in that state, then it, would survive death because it would fulfill the condition of having a rational soul intrinsically. Then there's another possibility, um, which is that, uh, and all of this is, we're taking this account literally. Yes. Um, but there's another possibility, which is essentially God was translating for the donkey. Mm-hmm. And the, and 
enabling communication to happen in a way that didn't really affect the donkey's reasoning. Yeah. Because, um, you know, when a, well, let's say you've got a dog and same thing applies to any animal, but a dog and the dog is barking about something and you as the dog owner don't know what it's trying to communicate. It is trying to communicate something. Right. That's what the barking is for. But because the bandwidth of barking is so limited, mm -hmm. it does not give you, the human, enough information to deduce what the dog is actually trying to say. Right. It may be saying, I'm hungry. It may be saying, I want out. It may be saying, what is that thing over there? Right. It may be saying any number of things. Um, but it has a limited bandwidth in its ability to articulate those thoughts. And sometimes you can infer what it's thinking by context. Like if it's at the door barking, it either maybe wants to go out or it's seeing something outside that is a problem or potential problem. But you can't always figure that out. Now, in the case of Balaam, uh, God has sent an angel to stop him uh, from carrying out his current plan. And the angel is standing in front of the donkey on the road, and the donkey is able to see the angel, whereas Balaam is not. And the donkey recognizes the angel as a potential threat and stops. And Balaam doesn't like that, so he ends up whacking on the donkey to try to get it moving, but donkeys don't often respond to that. They have a reputation for being stubborn. And eventually, the angel having opened the donkey's <clears throat> eyes to be able to see the angel, it then opens its mouth to be <sighs> able to communicate to Balaam. And all the donkey communicates really is a, a few things um, like, okay, there was this angel yeah. that I saw and haven't I faithfully served you all these years? Why would you decide to start whacking on me? Shouldn't you trust me? Yeah. Well, those are things that um, that donkeys could think without really having the full gift of reason. Oh, yeah. I mean, just like you can imagine a dog. A dog, if a dog sees an angel over there, what is that thing over there? We better stop. Right. You know, and um, I mean, it won't have the words to articulate it, but no, it can but... have that thought. Yeah. And in the same way, if you start whacking on your dog, it's like, I thought we had this relationship. Why are you doing this? Yeah. And even and without words, even right. without words. And so it may be that uh, the angel is simply allowing uh, the donkey to verbalize thoughts that the donkey had, but didn't have the words. So this may just be a translation issue. Yeah. Uh, just like if, you know, one day we could hypothetically have, um, you know, uh, I mean, at, at some point we're likely to have machine telepathy where you can scan somebody's brain and tell what they're thinking. Well, that's going to be done on animals first. And it, we one day may have translation software to, you know, put a little cap on your dog, scans its brains, <laughs> tell you exactly what the barking is about. Yeah. Um, and that's possible. In fact, there was a far side comic a few years ago, Gary Larson's far side right. one panel comic where <clears throat> uh, the caption is this, some guy has invented a translation device for dogs. And you see him, he's walking down the street in a neighborhood with lots of dogs and he's got the headsets on for his translation device. And you see the little speech balloons coming up from the dogs oh. for their barking. And it's all, hey, 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 hey. <laughs> That's all they say. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, my dogs say hey too much. Uh, what a, a great question, Colin. Uh, thanks. I'm glad you're uh, reading the book of Numbers. I think it is one of those neglected books of the Bible. I just think that. I don't have any You know what it's called, Numbers? No, I do not. So um, in uh, number is, uh, normally we think of a number as a noun, you know, so yeah. like three, four, five, those are all numbers. Um, but number is also a verb. Oh, to number things. To number things, which oh, means to count them. Yeah. And that's why it's called numbers, because at the beginning and the end of the book of numbers, they number the Israelites, they count them and take a census. Learn something new every day. Uh, we got a whole bunch more of these uh, weird questions for Jimmy Aiken. The people who give the questions are not weird. The questions are just off the beaten path. That's what we mean. And it's fun to do it. Uh, hence, because, hence the name weird questions, not, weird, not people. weird people. Yeah. Although I, I don't want to prejudge. It could be that some of the people are weird. They may, in fact, even be proud that they're weird. I don't know. But uh, it's weird questions with Jimmy Aiken. And uh Jimmy does this all the time, investigates interesting things at Jimmy Aiken's Mysterious World. You should check it out. And uh, I also want to let you know that Dr. Ray is coming out here to San Diego. So if you're in the Southern California area and uh, you can join us next week, December 7th and 8th, Dr. Ray Garendi will be taping EWTN's Living Right with Dr. Ray. For more information, you can just go to Catholic.com, click the button at the top of the page, and you find out all about the upcoming visit of Dr. Ray Garendi to our neck of the woods, Southern California. Maybe we'll see you there. All right, we'll take a quick break. Right back with more weird questions for Jimmy Aiken right after this. We'd like to take a moment to thank our patrons who make this show possible, including Teresa N., Samuel C., Ian S., Nick W., and Jude H. Their generous donations at sqpn.com give make it possible for us to continue Jimmy Aiken's Mysterious World and all the shows at StarQuest. And you can join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give. Jimmy Aiken's Mysterious World is also brought to you by Deliver Contacts, offering honest pricing and reliable service for all your contact lens needs. See the difference at delivercontacts.com. And by Tim Shevlin's Personal Fitness Training for Catholics, providing spiritual and physical wellness programs and daily accountability check-ins. Strengthen yourself to help further God's kingdom. Work out for the right reason with the right mindset. Learn more by visiting fitcatholics.com. Welcome back. Having Answers Live. Time flies when you're having fun. I can't believe we're already uh, at the, this stage in the program. But Jimmy Aiken's here and we're doing weird questions for Jimmy Aiken. We just give him weird questions that come to us. Well, they come to you. A lot of them come to you personally, mm -hmm. Jimmy. And uh, I also, don't know. you know, people will send them to radio at Catholic.com and they get forwarded to me. Yeah. And uh, so we got a whole bunch of weird questions uh, that people like to ask. And we love doing this. And send your questions. If you if a weird question occurs to you, uh, we'll try our best to get it on with Jimmy one of these Friday afternoons when we do this. This one comes from Leah. What exactly is happening in the book of Tobit? Wait, there's more. What exactly is happening in the book of Tobit when Sarah's husbands keep dying? Is a demon really killing them? If so, how? Possessing Sarah and causing her to kill them, possessing the husbands and having them kill themselves some other way? So uh, the answer is we don't know because the book of Tobit does not tell us. Mm -hmm. What it says is that um, that she's had these seven husbands, but they all die before they consummate. And the reason they die is because a demon kills them. And it doesn't say how the demon kills them. It does say so. And we can think it, 
it, about other passages in Scripture, how do demons kill people? Well, um, in the Gospels, you may think about the uh, the father of the epileptic who comes to Jesus. And in this case, the epilepsy is related to a demon. Now, that's not always the case. It is not always demons when someone has epilepsy. <laughs> no, But no, in this right. case, they are related. And, um, and the father says to Jesus that th- when the boy is in the grip of the demon, it will, it will like try to throw him into the fire or things like that. And so it could be possible for a demon to possess a person and try to make them injure themselves or even kill themselves. That's one way that could happen. Um, so that's a possibility in terms of what happens to Sarah's husbands. Um, another possibility, though, is it could be something else. In, um, in the, during, da- during David's reign, David has displeased the Lord by taking a census when he shouldn't. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and God gives him a choice of options for here's how, you know, we can deal with this. Here is a set of punishments. And, um, and he, he picks one that involves an angel coming and unleashing a plague. And so, uh, the angel is from a modern perspective would be manipulating microorganisms in a way that result in disease that kill people. And that would mean the angel has abilities that we would refer to today as telekinesis. Oh yeah. You know, as if, or psychokinesis. It's right. also the same thing. Um, but you know, being able, since they're created intellect, being able to mentally manipulate matter. Yeah. And so if angels are telekinetic, then in a way that can manipulate microorganisms, then they could have made uh, all of Sarah's husband sick. Yeah. And killed him that way. Or if they are telekinetic, they could similarly just manipulate the matter in the in the husband's body. Yeah. Like pinching off their carotid artery long enough to just starve the oxygen of brain and killing them that way. Mm-hmm. Or they could cause a heart attack, or they could burst a blood vessel and give them a stroke, or a hemorrhagic stroke, or move a blood clot around and give them a, an occlusive um, stroke. So there are bunches of options, given that angels appear to be telekinetic. The one option that would not be very consistent with what the text in Tobit says is the, the first one that Leah mentioned of them possessing Sarah and causing her to kill them. Um, while that might be possible in principle, it doesn't appear to be what's going on in Tobit because actually that she gets accused of that. Not being of being possessed, but of killing the husbands. So her her servant maids um, accuse her and say, you're the one who's killing your husbands. And it's made very clear that is not the case. It is not Sarah. It is it is the demon. And that would suggest it is not the demon possessing Sarah. Yeah, in fact, that. Sarah pos- prays to God and talks about how she's innocent of of doing anything here. And even though she would be innocent, presumably if she's just being possessed and has no control, still it suggests mm-hmm. that it's not her, not by her hand, possessed or otherwise, it's not by her hand that these men are dying. So, um, so we're not really sure what's happening, but those are some of the possibilities. Also, it should point out that 
Tobit is based on various internal clues in the book, does not appear to be a straightforward historical account. It appears to be essentially an extended parable. And this is something that John Paul II, for example, talked about. Yeah. So we shouldn't suppose necessarily that that this literally happened. Uh, Leah, thanks very much for the question. Weird questions with Jimmy Aiken this hour. Chris asks this. If God is beyond time, time is not a concept to God. Could the passion of Jesus still be going on? And then conceivably, my sins could make the pain that Jesus endures even more. And then the opposite. If I sin less, Jesus receives less pain. So um, the statement time is not a concept to God can be understood in more than one way. Obviously, God is omniscient. He knows everything. So he knows about the concept of time. So he it is a concept for him in that sense, but he's not bound by it. So the the standard theological understanding and the position of the Catholic Church is that God is outside of time, and so it does not pass for him, and he embraces all of time, all he, he, he all of time is equally present to him all at once. Um, now, given that Jesus's passion, which occurs inside of time in AD thirty three, is not literally still going on. Yeah, because it occurs from our perspective, because we're in 2021 and it is not still going on because it occurred in AD 33. From God's perspective, though, both 2021 and AD 33 are equally real. Yeah, they're equally present to him. And so from the eternal perspective, well, it's not that it's still going on, because that implies a change in time if something's still the case. Um, so it's not that the crucifixion is still going on from God's perspective. It just is going on from God's perspective, because AD 33 is real to him. Yeah. It's also true from God's perspective that the crucifixion is not still going on in 2021. That's equally real as saying it is going on in 33. It is not going on in 2021. So it both is and is not going on from God's perspective, depending on which stretch of history you're talking about. Um, Now, even if you didn't believe that God is outside of time, as long as you believe that God is omniscient and knows everything past, present, and future, then in his divine mind, as he suffered on the cross, Jesus knew about all your future sins, which he's dying for. He also knew in his divine mind about all your future acts of repentance and reparation. Yeah, right. And so, um, so even if it weren't true that God was outside of time, as long as he's omniscient, you still have an awareness on in his divine mind of everything you've done good and bad. And so the thing is though in his divine mind he doesn't suffer. Because the right, divine right, nature right. is to use the fancy theological word the divine nature is impassable it's mm-hmm. not capable of passion or suffering. That means <clears throat> That any in order for him to suffer, it has to be in his human nature. And so there would have to be an information transfer between his divine mind, which is omniscient, and his human mind, 
as he's suffering on the cross. And hypothetically, he could communicate, transfer that information from his divine mind about your future sins or your future acts of repentance and reparation. That could be transferred into his human mind so he could think about it and it could have an effect on him emotionally. Um, But it is not clear that that happens. Um, It is, I mean, he obviously is thinking in some way about the future sins of humanity because he's dying for them. And he may well in some way be thinking about people are going to be grateful for this and they're going to repent and they're going to be saved and that's going to be great. So he may be consoled by those thoughts at the same time. But unless there's a supernatural transfer of information from his divine mind to his human mind, he's not going to have the specific knowledge of particular sins or like every little venial thing or particular acts of reparation. But it's possible Mm -hmm. for this to happen, and it would thus be a matter of speculation whether or not God is outside of time, and he is. But even if he weren't, um, just omniscience does the work here. And so it's it's a matter of open speculation to what extent was Jesus aware of future sins and future acts of reparation, as he was in the midst of his suffering, and what effects did that have on his sufferings and and consolations? And people have taken different positions about that. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, uh, I'm going to say thanks uh, for that question, Chris. Appreciate it. Uh, More to come, more weird questions for Jimmy Aiken on Catholic Answers Live right after this. Welcome back to Catholic Answers Live. I'm Cy Kellett, your host, enjoying two hours with Jimmy Aiken. And uh, thank you very much. I hope you are as well. And or maybe you just joined us and you're going to enjoy the next few minutes with Jimmy Aiken. Uh, I hope you will, because this next question is about a global catastrophe. And come on. That's entertaining. They make movies about global catastrophes. Uh, Rob says this. For your entertainment. For your entertainment. (laughs) Yeah. A giant meteor hurtling towards Earth for your entertainment. Rob says this. Say there was a global catastrophe that caused much destruction and prevented communication between the Americas and Europe. No one in the Americas knows if anyone still lives in Europe and has no way of finding out. In this scenario... Would it be prudent for American cardinals to elect their own pontiff, or should they hope that papal succession is safe in Europe? So this is an interesting disaster. I know. I'm, I'm trying to I think know. about what would accomplish these effects, because <laughs> if it were known that, um, let's say, a giant meteor, like the sweet meteor of death. Yeah. Um, Wait, is that a thing, the sweet meteor of death? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I got to look that oh, yeah. up. You, I'm learning so much today. Yeah, the Sweet Meteor of Death has its own uh, Twitter uh, feed. Oh, okay. And it runs for president every four years. It, it promises to end all of our problems. Well, uh, <laughs> I guess it would. Yeah. Um, and so um, so if, if we knew that the Sweet Meteor of Death had impacted Europe, yeah. we could... We would lose communication with Europe, and an asteroid, a massive asteroid strike, would probably knock us down to stone, at least temporarily, down to Stone Age technology. So we wouldn't be able to find out anything for sure. But American cardinals could probably infer 
that everybody in Europe, or at least the Pope in Europe, was dead. Yeah. And likely the all of the cardinals in Europe had likely died as well. Right. And it was not going to be possible to hold a conclave in Europe. Um, but that's Europe. There are cardinals elsewhere in the world. And so the American cardinals should not hold a conclave just on their own <laughs> if they're able to bring in cardinals from other places like huh. South America and um, and Australia and Asia, Asia and yeah. Africa and so forth. So just because Europe is presumably is unreachable and everybody there is presumably dead, that wouldn't justify one group of cardinals holding a conclave and electing a new pope. Right. Um, also, there's a question of how quickly can we get answers? Now, the way the question's been framed, it implies we're not going to be getting them soon. Because otherwise, the thing to do would be to just, just wait, wait. Yeah. you know, and wait until it's been reestablished. So we need to envision a scenario where, um, where communication cannot be reestablished for an extended period of time. Let's say a generation. Because if it's just a few years, well, then you just wait a few years. Yeah. It's okay. We've had periods before where for various logistical reasons, there was no Pope for a few years. The no. church can function that way. And in fact, Everybody's going to be rebuilding for a few years anyway if there's been this kind of global catastrophe. Right. So priests are perfectly able and local bishops are perfectly able to distribute sacraments and keep things going. They know how to do their jobs. If they didn't, we wouldn't have the distributed system of, of church governance we do anyway. So you just keep doing what you need to do. <clears throat> and where the Pope becomes essential is in response to, I mean, he provides a general management role that's important, but where he really, be, but you can kind of act on inertia based on previous papal instructions in an interregnal period between the reigns of popes. Right. And even if it's an extended interregnal period, you can still, well, we've got copies of the Code of Canon Law and the sacramentary, we can keep things going. It's only when there's a disruption to the normal life of the church, let's say caused by heresy, where it becomes urgent that you be able to consult the Pope. And um, otherwise, you can just follow his ordinary instructions. And so uh, so let's say Europe is unreachable for a generation or more. Well, um, by that point, the Pope's going to be dead anyway, because it's a generation. And we're now operating in a low-tech environment where we don't have good ways of keeping people alive beyond a normal human lifespan. And if there are cardinals over there, they would, who are in communication with each other, they would presumably elect a new Pope when the current one dies or resigns, in which case we shouldn't do that. So yeah, what no. should we do? Well, if we're able to get together a group, uh, the, all the rest of the cardinals of the world, and I'm imagining something like, there's a curtain of antimatter around Europe that's stopping people from getting in or out or communicating. Well, but all the rest of the world can communicate. Well, then they should, you know, get on ships or whatever and and meet and decide what to do about the matter. If it's going to be more than a generation before they can find out about is is there a pope or not, 
it is hypothetically conceivable, at least should a crisis arise, like a heresy. Yeah. And in uh, the wake of an apocalyptic disaster, heresies could arise. Sure. Um, but should that happen, I can imagine them electing a conditional pope. That is... Oh, if, if there's no if other pope. there is no yeah. other pope, this guy is the pope. But if we later, is, and we elect him only to deal with the current emergency, that's why we're electing him. Mm-hmm. And, 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 you know, and we can elect successors and things like that. But um, only if the actual previous legitimate pope is still alive and has not resigned and they have a legitimate succession going on in Europe that we later discover once the antimatter curtain goes away. Right. And so I could, and then it would be up to the true Pope to retroactively validate or invalidate the actions of the conditional Pope. Yeah. And if it's later determined there is no surviving papacy in Europe, the action, then the conditional Pope would be the Pope and his actions would not need validation or overruling. Nice. All right. But that assumes that they don't have that they are facing a crisis where they need a pope. And if they don't, then what I would suggest as an alternative is for the college of card, the surviving college of cardinals to arrange for a, um, and I need the exact, I need to think about the exact legal language to use, but basically um, a necessity uh, modification in canon law for them to be able to appoint their own successors as cardinals. Oh, yeah. Right. So that when the situation in Europe becomes clear, if they are the only cardinals left, they will be able to, to, elect. to elect a new pope. Uh, that's a great question. Uh, I'm not exactly sure what the nature of that catastrophe is, but it is a fascinating catastrophe, uh, Rob. Uh, appreciate it. And you can have a wild hypothetical. It's weird questions with Jimmy Aiken. This one comes from Kyle. Kyle, thank you for this question. I think everyone wants to know this. Did Jesus know how to build an airplane? Is there a way to say that he didn't without calling into question his design, divi- excuse me, divine omniscience as the second person of the Holy Trinity? Yeah, and we've covered in this very episode yep. some of the principles relevant to that. So Jesus has a divine intellect, which is omniscient and does know how to build an airplane. Mm-hmm. And then he has a human intellect, which if you look in the section of the Catechism of the Catholic Church on Jesus's human knowledge. It'll it'll cover these principles. But it says that um, Jesus's human intellect was not omniscient and was conditioned by the time in which he lived in, in. And so since how to build an airplane was not common knowledge in the first century AD, right. that information would not naturally be present in his human intellect. So if it if since it wasn't his divine intellect, it would be possible for there to be a supernatural transfer of information of how to build an airplane from the divine intellect to his human intellect if God wanted that to happen. The question is then, did God want that to happen? And the position uh, that theologians have taken in some centuries uh, would seem to be yes. Um, People like Thomas Aquinas seem to think that Jesus knew everything about the actual world, including all of its future history, including every bit of every airplane that would ever be built. 
That's what Thomas Aquinas thought. Yeah. He okay. didn't know. He didn't know about airplanes, but that's what right. he thought that Jesus no, no, yeah, but, had right. universal knowledge of the real world, not of every hypothetical world that could exist. That's how he protects the finitude of Jesus's human intellect. He only has comprehensive knowledge of the real world. Right. Um, and and others people others followed that opinion. So it's a kind of pseudo omniscience where he's omniscient. He knows everything about the real world, but not about every possible world. Sure. Um, I don't find that plausible. I don't think that fits with the data we see in the gospels and neither does the catechism of the Catholic church. The current magisterial understanding of this question as illustrated in the catechism is that the, there was supernatural information transfer between Jesus's divine mind and his human mind, but it pertained to his mission to, to save humanity. And so the information he needed to perform his mission and give his teachings, that was transferred but other information that was not essential to his mission, like when is a particular prophetic event in the future going to happen? He wasn't sent to reveal that. It wasn't part of his mission. And so the catechism states that Jesus acknowledged not knowing that because he hadn't been sent to reveal it. Well, Jesus did not come to teach the Wright brothers how to build an airplane. And so my take, based on what the catechism says, would be that um, that uh, it was not essential to Jesus's mission to announce how to build an airplane, and therefore he would have had that information in his divine intellect, but there was no reason, and thus supernatural information transfer did not happen to put that information in his human intellect. All right. Uh, thank you, uh, Kyle. Thank you very, very much for that uh, question. Kind of a perennial. Did Jesus know how to uh, build an airplane? Mm-hmm. I mean, you hear that question all the time. Uh, you want to try a, yeah. another question? Yeah. This one? Mm-hmm. All right. What's the deal? Uh, what's the real? Uh, this is from Joseph. What's the real deal with Ed and Lorraine Warren? I can assume that the movie prelude statement about them being commissioned by the church is a stretch or even a lie, though they do have a bunch of supposed possessed items, one being the Annabelle doll. Mm-hmm. My curiosity is intrigued on this. I can't imagine the church would enlist lay people to do this type of work. Is it all just a lie? It's not all a lie, but uh, so for people who may not be familiar, Ed and Lorraine Warren were a couple uh, who then they both passed on now, but Lorraine only passed on recently. Um, And they were a couple of essentially amateur demonologists. Okay. Um, And they were involved in various uh, paranormal cases. Um, they're, they're very popular because they did a lot of appearances on like late night radio and stuff, um, where they talked about like Annabelle, the doll that would be infested rather than possessed by demons if it were. Um, but they're not generally well regarded in a lot of the scholarly paranormal community. Um, for example, they fell for the Amityville horror case, which was a hoax. Okay. And they fell for it. And they were not regarded as being uh, really competent in this area. I wouldn't preclude the idea that some priest somewhere asked them to consult on something because part of the the right of exorcism directs priests to ask for consulters. And they, I, I wouldn't doubt that some priest or set of priests occasionally ask them to consult. 
but it, they weren't like working for the church in a formal capacity. And frankly, I wouldn't value their opinion as consultants very much. But I'll talk about that more on Mysterious World. Uh, all right. Thanks, Jimmy. Thanks, Joseph, for the question. Jimmy Aiken's Mysterious World. You can find it on the Internet. Just type in Jimmy Aiken's Mysterious World. Jimmy, thank you very much for two weird hours. My pleasure, Cy Kellett, for two weird hours. We'll see you next time. God willing, right here on Calvin Answers Live. So, Jimmy, those were excellent questions and answers, and that does it for us this time. What are your theories about the topics that we covered in the questions that Jimmy answered today? Let us know by visiting sqpn.com or the Jimmy Akins Mysterious World Facebook page, sending us an email to feedback at mysterious.fm, sending a tweet to at mys underscore world in the StarQuest Discord community at sqpn.com slash discord, or calling our mysterious feedback line at 619-738-4515. That's 619-738-4515. And I want to say a special word of thanks to Oasis Studio 7 for the video and animation work in this episode. Uh, do go to my YouTube channel and check out the video work they do and that improves the shows in a bunch of ways that people don't suspect if they only listen to the audio version of the show. You can get there by going to youtube.com slash Jimmy Aiken. And while you're there, be sure to like, comment, and subscribe because doing all that helps YouTube realize there's something interesting going on here and they'll show it to more people. And so you can help the channel grow. I am uh, trying to grow my channel, so I'd really appreciate it. And be sure to subscribe and hit the bell notification so that you always get a notification when I have a new video out. There are now multiple videos coming out each week. So, Jimmy, what's our next episode going to be about? Next week is a patron's question episode. So we're going to be talking about questions that have been asked by our patrons. Folks, be sure to share the podcast with your friends and write a review in Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcast from to help us grow our community and reach more listeners. You can find links to Jimmy's resources from our discussion on our show notes at mysterious.fm slash 286. And remember, to help us continue to produce the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. Jimmy Yakin's Mysterious World is also brought to you in part by The Grady Group, a Catholic company bringing financial clarity to their clients across the United States, using safe money options to produce reasonable rates of return for their clients. Learn more at gradygroupinc.com. And by Great Lakes Customs Law, helping importers and individuals with seizures, penalties, and compliance with U.S. Customs Matters throughout the United States. Visit GreatLakesCustomsLaw.com and by Rosary Army, featuring award-winning Catholic podcasts, rosary resources, videos, and the School of Mary online community, prayer, and learning platform. Learn how to make them, pray them, and give them away while growing in your faith at RosaryArmy.com and SchoolOfMary.com. Until next time, Jimmy Yakin, thank you for exploring with us our mysterious world. Thanks, Tom. And once again, I'm Dom Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to Jimmy Akin's Mysterious World on StarQuest. If you've enjoyed Jimmy Akin's Mysterious World, you'll also enjoy another StarQuest Network show, The Secrets of Sacred Art. Find it wherever you can find podcasts or at starquest.fm slash art.